to start with the story of the Good Samaritan this morning. It's in Luke 10. So a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law, and what is your reading of it? So the lawyer answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, that's the attorney, wanted to justify himself and said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came along the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, and pouring on oil and wine, he set on him his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day when he departed, he took out its two coins called denarius. Uh, It's worth about $400 by our money today. He took out $400 and gave it to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer replying to Jesus, said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So it's a very famous story. It's probably actually incalculable how powerful and important this story has been in world history, actually. This is one of the core definitions of what Christianity is, and one of the major changes that Christianity has brought, actually, to world culture. But Jesus tells us here the story of this Good Samaritan. And I want to point out something, as the Lord spoke to me this week in this word, I I noticed something I've never heard anybody else ever point out, that the lawyer comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is his answer, the story of the Good Samaritan. We might think, well, if I want eternal life, I'm supposed to confess my sins, I'm supposed to repent, I'm supposed to be baptized, I'm supposed to attend church, I'm supposed to believe correct doctrine. It's not what Jesus says here. I'm not saying that those things don't count, I'm just saying that's not what Jesus points out here. He says, if you want to go to heaven, if you want eternal life, you take care of the person in front of you. In another story where Jesus says, at the end, on judgment day, I'm going to sort the sheep from the goats, and the sheep will enter into God's kingdom, and the goats go to hell. And he doesn't sort them by, well, you were baptized and you weren't. And you believe correct doctrine and you didn't. And you went to church and you didn't. What's he say? He sorts them by. You visited the sick or you didn't. You went to the jail or you didn't. You fed the hungry. You took care of the orphan. You took care of the widow or you didn't. Nothing at all about church attendance, daily Bible reading, baptism, all those things we know are true. When the rich young ruler came and asked Jesus what he had to do to inherit eternal life, Jesus gives a little bit different answer. Sell everything you've got and give it away. Does that mean we don't need to be baptized? Absolutely not. I'm just pointing out that the context of the Good Samaritan story is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You must actually take care of people in real time, in real life. Because James 2, 14 through 17 says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? 
Can such a man save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. If your faith doesn't have action, specifically the context is take care of the people who have needs in front of you. If you aren't giving away your time and money, your faith is dead and it is worthless. You can sing all the praise songs. You can have all your morning Bible readings. If you don't take care of the people in front of you, James says it's dead. Good morning. Y'all are awful quiet this morning. Galatians 6.10 says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. As opportunity arrives, whatever presents itself, take care of the people in front of you, first for fellow Christians and then for the people of the world. I know a whole bunch of you have, have taken opportunity and you've served your neighbor, your coworker, your classmate, you've taken care of people, but um, some of you have forgotten that this is a requirement, not just a suggestion. So I just want to remind you how this might look. It isn't it isn't the pastor's job. It's not why you pay Josh and I is to go to the hospital and visit the sick. This is your job. This passage we're reading for our ministry class is that we equip each other to do the work of ministry. Hello? I've been to the jail a lot because it's expected that the pastor will do that. Have you? I know you wonder, well, when would I have opportunity to do that? I get that. And now, since lockdown, things have changed, and there's a lot of things we can't do that we used to. But uh, Jesus said he will short, sort the sheep from the goats by whether you visited the jail or not. I've said that before, and I don't know that it moved anybody. I don't know. So I just want to tell you some stories about what opportunity, as we have opportunity, what opportunity might look like. So in the context of the Good Samaritan, so 10 years ago, I'm driving into town and there's a pickup on the side of the road with the hood up. So I pull over and stopped and there's a Mexican man who speaks no English and I speak no Spanish. And he has a set of bolt cutters out and he's about to cut his battery cable. I'm like, no, no, don't do that. Well, I figured out he wants to get to Nampa. His pickup died. He won't go anywhere. I know his alternator has gone bad and his pickup has died because there's no charge, but he had a top post battery, and in the back of his pickup, he had a side post battery, so he, his plan was to cut the battery cable and um, put, put it on a side post battery. Again, like, no, 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 no. And, and he just keeps doing this, like, what do I do? What do I do? So I, I hitched up, and I, I pulled him into Island City to Mike's shop, and, and uh, Mike confirmed that it was his alternator. We're, you know, I'm tapping on the alternator, and he's like, and he pulls out his wallet and he holds it open and he has like 20 bucks in there or something. And I'd already talked to Mike. I was going to buy his alternator for him because I knew he didn't have anything. I don't, I don't know how to tell him. So I just pointed at myself and, I, and, and he gives me this again. And I said, I didn't know, even know how to say, say it correctly in Spanish. I just said, Jesus Christos. And I pointed at the sky and he goes, hey! And he gives me a big hug and he, Christos! And, and, and we had revival right there. Jesus bought him an alternator. A couple hours, Mike had him going down the road, and, and he went on to Nampa, and I haven't seen him again. But those of you praying for revival, get busy. Come on. Come on. We don't 
pray and fast and then pray and fast and then pray and fast and then not do anything. Right? Revival isn't just in this room. Revival's on the street. Come on, serve some people. I was walking from Ace to Rite Aid on a Saturday morning one time and I came around the corner of the Rite Aid building and here's a guy sitting on the sidewalk covered in blood. His face is bloody, his shirt's bloody, his front of his pants. And he's sitting there with a tampon shoved up his nose and his nose is just black and swollen and his eyes are black. And I'm like, what happened to you? And well, so he'd, he'd come down from Joseph on Friday night to get drunk in the bar in LaGrande. He got so drunk, he passed out and fell over like a log and just landed on his face. And uh, he'd gone up to the hospital, and they had just given this, this cotton swab and, and shoved it up his nose and sent him on his way. He was still wearing the same shirt. It was, it was a lot of blood. He had really hurt himself. Well, he's waiting for the bus to take him back to Joseph. And uh, I, I'm just talking to him, trying to concern myself with how I can help him. And he's hungover and in pain. He's really hurting, and maybe even still some intoxicated. I don't know. Anyway, I, I didn't know what to do for him. He's like, man, you got a lighter. I need a smoke. I'm like, your nose is swelled shut, and <laughs> you're going to smoke? <laughs> but uh, he wanted to smoke. He had cigarettes. He doesn't have a lighter. I said, well, I don't, I don't smoke, so I don't have one. And then I just thought, well, I guess I could go buy him one. So I went into Rite Aid and bought him a lighter so that he could smoke. In Jesus' name. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Just help the guy out. And Help him get on his way. I don't know. It just every, you just do whatever presents itself in front of you. What, whoever you find that needs help, you help them out. And you don't have to solve their problems. Just, just take care of them and give them Jesus. I was called up to the hospital. We had an older woman in the church who was having some sort of heart attack. And she's in ICU. And on the way up there, out of nowhere, out of the blue, I begin to sing, Great is thy faithfulness as I'm driving up there, and I'm, I'm a pretty dull-headed guy, but I did pick up on the fact that this probably God wanted me to sing this song to her, because it came so much out of nowhere. So being an older lady, she would have known the song and that old hymn and so on, so I get up in the room, and she is breathing in great pain. You know, somebody in, in a lot of pain is very tense, and they grunt, and she was grunting in her breathing and in her speaking, just very tense, and not because her breathing was labored, but just because it hurt so bad to breathe, because her chest hurt, and I, I just knelt by her bed, and I took her hand, and, and uh, I don't know if I prayed or whatever, but eventually I got to the song, and I just said, I think the Lord has a song for me to sing to you, and I just started singing. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. And I sang through a couple verses in the chorus that I remembered, and she's holding my hand, and I can tell as I'm singing, her grip gets stronger, and her breathing relaxed, and she quit grunting and gasping. And by the time I was done singing, it was like she was asleep. And I said, Rebecca? And she said, I have no pain at all. It's completely gone. And she was totally healed while I sang the song. I don't know when exactly how quick she got out of the hospital after that, but it was the next day or, or two. I tell you that because I didn't take a class in hospital bedside manner. My degree is in English and social studies. I don't have a seminary degree, but if I did, they don't have a class on how to comfort the dying. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know anything more than you do. It's just that I had to go. You can do this too. 
Hello? I listened to the Spirit. I sang the song that he gave me, and Jesus did the work. I was asked by a couple uh, in the church to go and visit his dying dad. He was on hospice, and he'd been comatose for several days, I think most of a week. He had not responded to anybody for anything. And they, they want me to come. He's just days away from dying. They want me to come and pray for his dad. I said, but we have to warn you, he hates pastors. Great. Uh, said he was, he's, he's mad at somebody from the past. Somebody heard him, and, and he hates preachers. I said, well, he's comatose, so we're probably not going to get in a fist fight. So I drove out there, and I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't have any professional training in any of this. I just, I just go because somebody asked me to. So, so I go, and I talk with the couple, and then his mom is there, and his dad's on the couch, and, and yes, he's just, he's out. And hospice was there also. Um, he could die within hours, or he might last a, a couple more days. They didn't really know. But he hadn't, I, I'm, I'm fairly sure it had been at least three or four or five days since he'd been responsive at all. So I just make conversation, trying to work into it, and I'm like, okay, you want me to pray? I, I never prayed for a comatose body before. I don't even know if he can hear me. I don't know, but I know the Lord can hear me. So I knelt down beside the couch. I put my hand on his, and I spoke right in his ear, just like right here. And I said, whatever his name was, I said, sir, I'm your son and daughter-in-law's pastor, They've asked me to come and pray for you in Jesus' name, and I want to pray for your soul before you die. I said, I don't know if you can hear me, but if you can, do you agree to that? And his eyes popped open, and he squeezed my hand, and he nodded. And I prayed for him in Jesus' name that the Lord would have mercy and forgive his sin and take him into eternity with him. And he closed his eyes, and he never spoke or moved for the next two days, and he passed away. I'm certain he's in heaven because he said yes to the name of Jesus as much as he could in the last, the last time he was conscious. He, he may have hated Christians and pastors, but he had a bad experience. Jesus can override that and give him a good experience. I mean, when the guy has not been conscious for most of a week and he opens his eyes and nods yes, pray for me in Jesus' name, that's yes to Jesus. Yes. Amen. That same couple asked me to go and visit her dad. Her dad is lung cancer, chain smoker all his life. He's going to die of lung cancer. He lives in Wallawa. Well, what do I do here? I mean, I'm, this guy uh, knows that he doesn't know me. I'm a total stranger. I'm going to knock on his door. He knows the only reason I'm there is because he's dying and I'm here to sell him Jesus because his daughter wants me to. She's like, well, he went to church in the past also, but uh, he, had, he got burned and, and he knows the Lord, but but I just want to make sure that he's ready. So I went and I'm like, oh God, how do I get into these situations? I, I don't know what I'm doing is my point. I don't know what I'm doing and it makes me nervous, but I just have to do it because you take care of the person in front of you. you. You go where you're asked to go and you do what you're asked to do. So I knock on this guy's door and, the, and it's really strange to just say, hey, I'm, I'm Mitch, I'm your daughter's pastor and I'm here to make sure you're saved before you die in a few months <laughs> or weeks or whatever it is. And three hours later, we're best friends. And he told me his life story and all about Wallowa and church and dogs and his work. And, and, and I told him about Jesus. He's like, yeah, yeah, I believe all that. And he assured me that he was right with Jesus. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I should have gone back to church. I just couldn't get over what had happened there. And well, I want to pray for you. Absolutely, yes. And so I prayed for him and and he said yes and amen to it all. And, 
Passed away in a couple months. Went to be with Jesus. Amen. Amen. You just go where you're needed. It doesn't always work. <laughs> As you all know, some experiences are not good. There was, went back when it was a Penny's. In front of J.C. Penny's, I saw a woman on crutches having a very difficult time walking. And I was in my vehicle and I wanted to drive off. But the Holy Spirit's like, you get out and you, you, you pray for her. And I, I, I was lazy. I didn't care. I mean, that's how good my heart is. I'm just like, I just want to go on with what I'm doing. But the Holy Spirit would not let me. I okay, okay. So we get out, and I approach her, and I, I just got one sentence out. Like, ma'am, I'd like to talk to you about what's, what's wrong with your feet. And she turned, and Rah! I mean, she bit me so hard. Just hate. And I'm, I was so shocked. It was so strong. I was so shocked, all I could do was back off and just go back to my vehicle. I was shaking. There was so much hate that, that I would try to approach her. And I, I could have done it better, but I don't think Jesus minds as long as we just do our best and try. Hello? You're not, you're not in charge of the results. You're just responsible to obey. Yeah? Two years ago when we were on our last trip in Manitoba, we were doing a tent meeting on the reservation and, and a very drunk man came to me and he was, I was by myself in a house and he came in, he was very forceful. I needed to get out to the tent for the meeting, but he was very forceful to sit me down and he was very slurred speech. It's kind of hard to understand some of those Indian men anyway, but he was very slurred and it was kind of hard to make it out. But I, I understood that he's telling me through his drunkenness that he, he keeps rubbing his belly. He says, they tell me I've got the stomach cancer and he's just been drinking so long it's, it's rotted his insides and he'd come because he knew there were Christians in the tent, but he was not too sure at all. And, and uh, I just, I was like, okay, God, this is my one shot with this guy. I gave him my best six-sentence gospel presentation that Jesus died for his sins and would forgive him and bring him into eternity. I said, but I also believe Jesus is your healer, and, and I, want, I want to pray for you. And he agreed that I could pray for him. But uh, he kept asking through very slurred speeches, is this real? And I, he was so drunk, I thought maybe he was hallucinating. I, you, do you mean, am I real? And he said, no, God. And I, yes, yes, God is real. I can answer that question. I said, and I'm going to ask him to prove it to you. So I prayed my best prayer. And twice during the prayer, he pokes me in the chest. Is this real? And, uh, and then he pokes me on the arm. He's like, hey, hey, is this real? And I just, I'm, I'm doing my best to pray my best prayer for you, dude, that's, that's what I know. I prayed for healing. I prayed for his salvation, his forgiveness of his sins. And I know for sure that the two times he interrupted me while I was praying, he was just drunk, drunk, drunk. When I said amen, he sat up straight, and in a totally unslurred, clear voice, he says, what did you just do to me? And I said, what do you mean? He says, I am stone cold sober. I said, what? That's my faith. I hadn't even prayed for him to be sober. I, he says, I'm stone cold sober. What the hell did you just do to me? I said, that's Jesus, sir. He just touched you. Is this real? <laughs> uh, yes, that's Jesus. He's your healer. He loves you. He has great power. And he just, he just sobered you up. His face is clear. I, he's not smiling, but he's not droopy drunk. And then he's like poking himself, and he's hitting himself in the stomach. I have no pain. 
What did you just do? I said, God has touched you, sir. Why don't you come out to the tent with me? No, no way. I ain't going in there. I'm like, no, you need to come to the tent. No. I'm, he got really spooked when he, when he realized he had no pain in his stomach at all. Uh, he, he would not come to the tent. I was like, sir, you need to come. Come on. You, you, God just proved to you that he's real. Come on, come on in the tent. He said, no, and he, he ran off. I didn't make any of it happen anyway. I can't keep him. <laughs> like, he runs off, and we have our meeting. And the stuff I'm encouraging you to do this morning is, is what I told you two months ago. It's Bob and... Newport coming up to us in the Walgreens parking lot and asking if we would pray for him because he's on a heroin run and I need a bed in a treatment center. And it's Mark here in Legrand who comes in jacked up on meth, just wanders into the church and he's absolutely certain in his meth-induced frenzy that Mount Emily is going to blow up tomorrow and we're all going to die. But the reason he came here was because he needed him and his son to get right with Jesus before that happened. Like the guy's crazy but in his craziness, he knows, I need Jesus. So I, absolutely, I'll pray for you, Mark. And I started praying for him, and he grabs me and puts his, real short guy, puts his head in my chest and cries my shirt dirty while I pray for him. And then he thanked me with tears in his eyes and walked out the door, and I've never seen him since. I don't know. You just do what is there in front of you. You're not, you're not responsible to solve their problem. You're just responsible to meet the need in the moment. Hello? Amen. A month ago, I was asked by a family who doesn't attend church anywhere to come and pray for their house because the house is full of demons. Our house is haunted. Our, our son has invisible friends that try to kill him. Like, I will be there. Yes. I'm trying to give them Jesus, I'm trying to get rid of the ideas that they have, and I'm trying to minister to their son and pray through their house, and, and it went really well, and they were really excited, and I told them, give me a call if it doesn't stop, and I'll come back, and they haven't called me in a month, so I guess it worked. I don't know. You just meet the need that's in front of you. It's the widow lady in the parking lot of Walmart trying to put with her hood up trying to put a battery in and I walk over and they've sold her a deep cycle boat battery to put in her Ford Explorer and so I take it back in and get her the right one and get it bolted in and send her on her way and then it's I it's picking up a hitchhiker in the rain who'd walked from Elgin to Alicell in the rain overnight and I, it's early morning and I, he's drenched and cold and I take him to McDonald's for his coffee and his egg McMuffin and I sit with him for two hours and talk to him about Jesus and he's all excited because he has he's been sober for nine days it's the longest he's been off meth and in, in, since he remembers while he drank his coffee with 13 sugars When I was a school teacher in Elgin, I had a student that got encephalitis, a sinus infection moved into his brain. He had to be life flighted to Dornbeckers, and it got into his brain and his spine, and he was paralyzed, and he was loopy, uh, hallucinating, and he was paralyzed on an arm and a leg, I think the left side. It, it really doesn't matter which one it was, but, um, and I knew he was there, and the Lord told me to go pray for him, and I had no faith for that sort of a healing, I, and I had things to do on Saturday, God. I mean, that's how uncaring I am. 
Like this, this kid is paralyzed at 17 or how old he was, and, and, and I'm busy. I got a football game to watch or a lawnmower or something important. And I, I tried to talk God out of it all week, and he wouldn't let me. So on Saturday, I drove over to Dornbecker's in Portland, and, and I sat in the car for half an hour, and I sweated bullets because this family wasn't Christian. They didn't believe anything, and I'm the lunatic that's going to show up and say, I'm here to pray for him to be healed. And, but I like, okay, I just have to be the fool for Jesus, I guess. So I went up and, and he's paralyzed and he's conscious, but he's really out of touch with what is real. Uh, the mom talks for a long time and the sister talks for a while and he tells me stories that weren't real. I just listen and I talk and I go, okay, now I didn't come to just visit and be nice. I came to pray for him to be healed. I, I walk over by the bed and lay hands on the boy and, and I pray my best prayer and absolutely nothing happens. Nothing. Just nothing. And I was so deflated, so disappointed. Like, God, you had me drive over here, and now i got to drive back, and what good was that? And on Monday, when I got to school, I found out that yesterday, he got up out of the bed, and he's walking around, and he's totally healthy, and he'll be here at school this week. His mom had told me that the doctor said, if he ever is able to walk again, it'll be a year of therapy. And the next morning... He was up and walking around with no complications whatsoever, totally healed. I don't know what God would have done if I hadn't obeyed, but I know that I would have been responsible for disobedience. That's what I know for sure. So nothing I'm telling you requires a Bible college degree or seminary class, and I don't have those. It doesn't even require that you be a church leader because a third of the stories I just told you happened when I'm a school teacher. I will give you the secret of of how to have stories like this, and it is be available. That is the only thing necessary is be interruptible. Because a lot of Jesus' miracles happen while he's on the way somewhere else. While he was on the way here, the, the lady who had the issue of blood grabbed him. While he's on the way here, he runs into the demoniac in the cemetery. And while he's on the way here, the blind men call out to him. And he was interruptible. He was not so set on where he was going and what he was doing. Well, sorry, I, I got a basketball game to get to. Hello. Come on. Be interruptible. And you've got to turn on your love. You've got to turn on. Jesus in the story said, the Samaritan saw him and had compassion on him. We're not doing these things to be good Christians or to have stories to tell. It's out of love for the people who have a need. You've got to turn your love on. A large number of you have convinced yourself that you're a loving, caring Christian because you feel sympathy. But sympathy is hell's counterfeit for compassion. Don't ever show anyone sympathy. Compassion is action. Faith in action. Love in action. Sympathy is I feel sorry for those people so I convinced myself I'm a good person. But you didn't actually do anything to change the situation. How many real-life, real-time stories of personal sacrifice do you have? Luke 6, 32-34 says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If even sinners love those who love them, if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those to whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. 
you got to get out of your own schedule. you got to get out of your own desires and goals and give away your time and your money. Meet the people where they're at in front of you. God's never going to ask, hey, is now a convenient time to give away $1,000? He's not going to say, is now a convenient time to stop and help somebody on the roadside? Hey, is today a good day for you to go up to the hospital and go pray for this person? He's not going to ask. He's going to tell you. He's going to drop it in front of you. And your decision is to go or not. And a lot of us try this, um, God, pick somebody else. That didn't work with Moses, did it? God, I don't know what I'm doing. Pick somebody else. I'm not qualified. I don't know how to pray for healing for somebody. You just do it. You go and you love the person. You meet them where they're at and you ask what they want. And you, you love them and you encourage them and you serve them. A coworker, a difficult family member, unsaved neighbor whose life is a mess, classmate that's going down the wrong road, somebody elderly in the church or an elderly neighbor down the street, a new mom that needs help, somebody who's sick or addicted or a fatherless child. You know these people. Do more than pray or feel something. I said, do more than pray or feel bad for them. Go to their house. Go to the hospital. Invite them to your house. Schedule a lunch. Make a real phone call, not just a text. Some will appreciate it. Some will be angry. Some will blow you off. Some will use you without saying thank you. Some will say no thank you, or worse, but you can't use that as an excuse to not try the next time. 1 John 3, 16 to 18 says, this is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Saying we love somebody or feel bad for them doesn't count. Where's the action? Where's the truth? The Good Samaritan gave the innkeeper $400. He didn't just give him a 20 so that he could feel better about it. He paid the guy's full bill. Some of y'all feeling self-righteous because you handed a 10 out the window to the guy with the sign. You know, I had a, years ago, we had a guy pull into the church parking lot in a Jaguar with gold wheels. And he asked for gas money. And I'm like, this is the dumbest attempt at convincing me that you need money I've ever seen. Like, you're the world's worst beggar if you're going to show up with a gold-wheeled car and claim that you need money. He said he was a pastor in Nampa, and he's on his way to Seattle to pick up his daughter from Bible college, even though it was the middle of the week in a time when college isn't even in session. Like, this story is really fishy, uh, and it keeps getting worse. But he needed gas money. He'd run out of gas and wasn't going to make it. So I gave him a $20 bill just to get him to leave. Honestly, that's what it was. Like, I don't know whether you're telling me the truth or not. I really don't believe you. But uh, here's 20 bucks. And as he was driving up over the overpass, the Lord rebuked me so strong. He's like, 
20 bucks will not get him to Pendleton. If he needs gas, fill his car. If you think he's lying, say no. Don't throw a token at him so you can feel like a good person. Fill his car or say no. I, the Lord didn't care which one I did, actually. If, if I really believe he's lying, he's scamming me, I'm free to think that. But don't just throw a token at him to get him out of my hair and pass him on to the next guy. Because what if he really did need gas? Amen, Mitch. Good preaching. Thank you for this encouragement. I'm so glad I got out of bed this morning to hear this. Amen. Jesus, please forgive our hard hearts. Please forgive us for our selfishness with our time and our money, our busyness or our laziness to not notice the people around us who need attention. Or assuming that Mitch and Josh will take care of that, they're the pastors. Lord, you have told us the way to inherit eternal life, and it is to go and do likewise. Lord, forgive us for token service and token giving. We're driving on by and thinking, well, somebody will take care of them. Lord, I pray that you would replace the hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, hearts that burn with compassion. We don't pet ourselves with feelings of sympathy, but that our faith has action. Lord, I pray that this house, this church family, would be known for compassion in action and faith in the power of the Holy Spirit to solve people's problems and meet their needs and direct them to Jesus. And that miracles happen here in the natural and in the spirit. Because those people actually believe the book they claim to believe. And they actually obey it. And they pray for revival, but they act on it. Lord, make us agents of your kingdom at hand. Fill us with your compassion. Make us generous and bold. Forgive us for making excuses like Moses that we don't know enough. Let's just take action. Do what we can do in real obedience. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us this way. I bless every person here with great faith and bold compassion, selflessness, interruptibility. In Jesus' name, amen.